تمام خلاص دخل Hello. Hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. How are you, Sama? Fine. It's very great to see you. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we are uh, fine. Fine. We are better now. Things are improving. Yes, I, I, oh, yeah. What about over so there? I think we still we have uh, the uh, we didn't um, jump it to the top of the curve, and we are still in the in the in the down uh, part of the curve. I hope we uh, don't reach the peak, but uh, until until this point uh, we are fine compared to European countries and America. Okay, okay, yeah. Let's hope you start uh, decreasing. No, here it's be much better for the last uh, few days. Yeah. And I think uh, the number in, in Spain now is decreasing regarding the death rate and the infection, new infection. Yes, yes. We have very few new uh, admissions, uh, COVID positive admissions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, two or three weeks ago, it was uh, very bad. And we had to change many things. Uh, now we're slowly coming back to normal. Still, still we are locked down at home. Confi there is confinement. We cannot go out. The hospital is closed. So still not normal. It's closed. The hospital is closed for uh, uh, family members and relatives. So only patients and and doctors. Yeah. And you are lucky to have some hospital working with a stroke patient because in our country, uh, when we come to the hospital structure, it's uh, either to, to be COVID patient, totally for COVID patient and every other specialty should be shut down. And uh, there is some hospital which will be uh, um, uh, ready to run the other uh, subspecialty. Okay, no, no, yeah, our hospital was 90% uh, COVID. Only the stroke unit and the coronary units were, were non-COVID, still non-COVID. Yeah. So. So, I don't know, it's eight, should we, how, how are you, you how do, should we proceed? I have a I few slides. Yes, of course. First, uh, let me, uh, uh, if you, we, we will start, um, I think, uh, to have two or five minutes. Yeah, yeah, to, sure. Uh, let the other, yeah. And I think we will start with uh, your uh, lecture. Uh, we have some uh, uh, of our um, regional expert uh, uh, here, Dr. Farid Al-Adham from uh, uh, Jordan, Aman. He is mm -hmm. an expert and he 
our board member in Mina Sino, and he, he is interventional neurologist working in Amman, and uh, he joined us already. Hello, Dr. Uh, Faid. Good evening. Hello. 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 How are you? I'm good. I'm very glad to have you with us uh, in this webinar, uh, uh, Dr. Mark. My pleasure. I'm, uh, I know very well Osama, and uh, if he asks me, I, I always try to, to, to help. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank we you appreciate much. that. And also we're waiting uh, Dr. Farouk Hassan. He is an uh, um, uh, uh, interventional neuroradiologist working in Cairo. He uh, will join us as a panelist also. And uh, still we have uh, so many uh, coming to uh, uh, participate. Dr. Farouk already uh, joined us. Hello. Hello. He's connecting. He's trying to connect. Yes, connecting, yes. I'm connected. So what about? Yeah. Hello. Hello, Dr. Fowler. Hello. This is not me, actually, but I had a problem with my computer, so I went in uh, from the computer of my uh, one of my kids. Mm -hmm. So this is not me. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> yeah, well, we. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> so now... No, I'm you're connected from your computer? No, it's me, but from his computer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm upgrading your, your, uh, your son. Character. Yeah. Okay. So let me start and uh, may, uh, I introduce first of all, uh, let me uh, welcome uh, our esteemed guest and dear friend, Dr. Mark Ribo. He is a professor of clinical and interventional neurology in um, via the apron Barcelona, Spain, an epicenter for uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, the one of the most contributing researcher to the field of stroke in the last decade, he is extensively publishing a paradigm shift articles in the field of stroke in the last few years. Um, he kindly joined us to um, um, give us uh, some recommendation about uh, the uh, how to to deal with the stroke uh, uh, and the stroke uh, workflow and the stroke protocol in the era of COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, uh, he, of course, from his um, painful experience uh, from an epicenter in Barcelona. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Mark, for joining us. And uh, let me introduce our uh, uh, panelists, uh, two of our heroes, Mina Sino heroes, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Farid Al-Adham. He is one of the uh, famous interventional neurologist working in uh, Jordan, Amman. Uh, he is uh, uh, American board certified. He is very experienced in uh, interventional neuroradiology. Uh, thank you, Dr. Farid, for joining us. And uh, uh, our friend, uh, Dr. Farouk Hassan, uh, he is a very experienced international uh, interventional neuroradiologist, and he is one of our dynamo in Minas Sino. Uh, Dr. Farouk uh, is a professor of interventional neurology in Cairo University, uh, uh, Cairo, Egypt. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, <clears throat> let me uh, leave the mic for you and uh, start the webinar. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen, right? Yes. yes. And 
I have a I have a presentation. I gave it in a few webinars over the last week because uh, yeah, since we are in the uh, well, hello. Thank first of all, hello to everybody. Uh, nice to uh, thank you for the invitation. Uh, the idea is to share with you what what went on what happened to us during the last uh, month, uh, two months. Uh, so hopefully you will not get to the same point because at some moment this was very ugly. Uh, let's hope uh, you don't get to the same uh, level, but uh, maybe uh, some of the experiences we had to go through, they can help you anyway. So because of we are at the, in the epicenter here, uh, I was asked to give uh, this presentation a couple of times over the last week. And, uh, uh, and I think it's useful. So, so just, just one slide to show you that we work in this area. This is our system. It covers Catalonia, seven and a half million inhabitants. Uh, uh, all the big centers basically are in the city of Barcelona. The purple, uh, and uh, we get in uh, Catalonia about 14,000 strokes per year. And we are very well organized. We are known to be very well organized. We have a very good registries, and uh, and uh, uh, all this organization was uh, uh, very dysfunctional during a few weeks. And I will show you why. So we have a 26 stroke units. We have a good tele 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 stroke service. Uh, uh, we can uh, assess patients uh, in in the in telestroke centers, and uh, the regional organization is very good. So this is what happened here with the coronavirus. Uh, uh, the first case that we admitted in our hospital was on March second, and at that time we were still thinking that this is something uh, that uh, was uh, not going to have a big impact. It was. Uh, a Chinese thing that uh, will not affect uh, uh, Europe or very few cases. But uh, during, over the last, during the following days, the situation worsened and uh, the government here, they decided to uh, confine everybody home, mandatory confinement, lockdown on uh, March the 14th. So we had the president, uh, we have the president on TV every day now, uh, almost every day. We make a lot of jokes about him. Uh, and here, here is the curve, the curve uh, that, uh, that uh, we are experiencing. Uh, we would be the yellow, the yellow curve, a little, not as bad as uh, in New York or in uh, the north of Italy, a little worse than uh, the numbers in China, as, as, as you can see. And this is the expected uh, rate of death mortality yeah, that is expected to grow for uh, another week still. So right now we still have uh, around 300, uh, 300 uh, deaths per day because of COVID. Uh, at one point we got to 600, I think. So it's better, it's decreasing. And uh, this, this graph is, I think is following uh, is a good prediction and probably during the first week of May, it will stop basically increasing 
or we will have very few new deaths because of COVID. This is my hospital. So what happened with uh, admissions from COVID-19 in my hospital? So you can see that uh, the blue bars are the uh, COVID positive patients admitted in the hospital. Uh, our, and uh, the yellow bars are the uh, admissions in the ICU. Uh, so here you can see you, we doubled the capacity of ICU beds. So we had to implement more ICU beds, basically to double the capacity and we reached the maximum capacity of beds uh, in our hospital. So basically you're gonna see what happened here. Our hospital progressively was filled with uh, COVID positive uh, patients. 90% uh, of the hospital was uh, dedicated to COVID patients. We doubled the capacity of the ICU. The stroke unit and half of the coronary unit were the only units that were COVID-free, non-COVID patients. Uh, so we managed to keep that at least. And uh, we decided that at that point we didn't know we, we, there were not many or enough uh, protection uh, equipment. We were uh, fearing uh, con uh, infections among the staff. So we decided that only one neurologist a uh, stroke neurologist will go to the hospital every day. The, all the team will stay at home and uh, we will stop all uh, non-urgent procedures. So we were only doing basically uh, strokes as an interventionalist, strokes and uh, subarachnoid, subarachnoid hemorrhages, basically. Nothing, uh, nothing uh, but the rupture, ruptured uh, aneurysms. Um, so we stopped all the, all the all the the scheduled the scheduled uh, procedures. Uh, there is an hotel nearby the hospital. Uh, the administration decided to fill the hotel to transform it into a, a hospital. So many many patients, COVID patients, were transferred to the uh, hotel to this hotel. Fortunately, it was not filled because also in front of the hospital, we have a sporting faci sport facility that was also uh, transformed into another hospital with 300 beds. And it was also half filled with COVID patients. So we didn't reach the, the total capacity of beds uh, because we implemented an hotel and a gym as uh, additional wards, hospital wards. And the problem we observed that uh, initially that uh, many of our COVID positive patients were all around the hospital uh, in that mess. Uh, uh, so they were not getting uh, appropriate care. So we tried, we, we, we convinced uh, the, uh, the administration to create, like to duplicate the stroke unit. So not exactly the same, but at least to have them in the same uh, all the stroke, the COVID positive stroke patients in the same area. So kind of a second stroke unit for COVID positive patients. And we send there another neurologist every day. And uh, this is the situation right now, I would say, except that uh, there are less COVID positive patients. We have uh, fewer stroke patients with COVID and uh, we are getting very slowly back to normal, uh, as you can see. 
but still we have uh, uh, the ICU admissions are going slowly, very slowly down. The normal admissions, I would say, are decreasing faster. The hospital is, we don't uh, probably uh, read Spanish or understand Spanish, but here, well, this is in Catalan, but it says this is the entrance of our hospital. There's a big sign telling that you cannot get into the hospital as a family member, as a relative, only professionals and patients can come in. And this is very difficult uh, for the practice uh, and patients uh, basically uh, for a while they were dying without any uh, family member uh, with them uh, or without any relative uh, we we had to give all the information through the phone and it was very very uh, painful for everybody so at one point uh, this rule the no visitation rule we uh, uh, the administration changed it and they allowed uh, visits when the patients were in very bad condition. Basically, if, if we believed that a patient was going to die, uh, a family member could come. So, so it, was, it was really a stressful situation, uh, <clears throat> as you can imagine, because, uh, because on top of, 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 of uh, having a family member dying, nobody could be with him and nobody knew exactly the information on first hand. So, very difficult times we went through. Uh, there was a concern about uh, infections of staff eh, because we didn't have uh, all the equipment, the protective equipment that we needed. Uh, and uh, you can see that the, the administration did a good thing that every day they, they do a, a, a webinar for the staff. They uh, explain all the situation, what is going to happen, what is happening. And they give us, among other other informations, uh, the rate of um, uh, staff that was uh, infected. So overall, 9% of the staff turned out to be positive. Yeah. And uh, especially the nurses, this rate goes up to 15% among uh, nurses and nurse aides. We have a few of our neurologist staff uh, that was also uh, positive, uh, residents, neurologists, uh, uh, fortunately mild, mild symptoms uh, most of the times, but, uh, but they had to, to remain uh, to keep at home uh, while they are infected. So we did a study, we did a study in order to see, because we had the impression that we have less patients coming and later we wanted to confirm that, to verify. We did a study the first six weeks of the pandemic of 2020, we studied all stroke uh, admissions and we compared them with the same period, six weeks in the previous year. And basically this is what we observed. The, after the second week of the pandemic, there was a clear decrease in the number of admitted stroke uh, patients. Uh, this is, uh, and not, we had not so many uh, positive strokes, COVID positive strokes, 16 patients overall. I think now we are, we are at uh, 19 or 20. So not so many. But uh, but there was a collateral damage, meaning that the number of strokes that were consulting and coming were much lower. And uh, the NIH, so they were more severe, especially you can see after the second week again, after we were really hit by the pandemic after the second week, the, the NIH of admissions increased as compared to the previous year, basically because the COVID positive patients were very severe strokes, very, very severe, as you're gonna see with very bad outcome. And also, we had 
fewer admissions or consultations by TIAs. So minor strokes and TIAs, they're very afraid to come to the hospital to consult. They're not coming. Patients with by own means that come by own means that they uh, they are not coming only uh, or much less than the previous year. And here you can see what I was telling you. TIAs were much lower, and uh, patients with large vessel occlusion uh, relatively was were higher, because minor strokes and TIAs are not are not coming because they probably they they, they are terrified to go to the to the hospital. The hospital is seen like. Uh, like a, a very bad place to be there, uh, full of uh, infected patients. Nobody wants to get there. So this is this is the problem. So uh, we went to the media, to the newspapers, televisions, radios, as the Society of Neurology, uh, and the, the same is happening with with uh, STEMI, with uh, coronary disease patients. Uh, we, we did a campaign telling the to people that if they have symptoms of stroke, they should still come to the, to the emergency room. We are prepared to, to study them and to take care of them. And uh, we are uh, counterbalancing the, the situation. Uh, despite a lower number of admissions, we had the same rate of reperfusion treatments, same rate of IBTPA treatment, same rate, same rate of, of thrombectomies. Uh, so that, that means, well, that, that's the, the good the good part when a patient comes we usually see especially in the first weeks it was very frequently we could see on the chest ct because we do a we generally do a cta starting from the articles so these pneumonias were very quite common to see and when the patient status is unknown about the infection as a stroke code this helps us uh, almost be sure that the, he, this is a COVID positive patient, but sometimes the findings are, are not so evident, like this one here. This one also suggested and was confirmed as a COVID positive patient. We wrap our phones always now with, uh, with uh, film, plastic film. Uh, everything is, uh, well, we talk uh, a lot of measures in the hospital, <clears throat> as you can imagine. According to the stroke codes that are coming, we're seeing more rate, a higher rate of, of low aspects because uh, our patients, uh, as you're going to see, they come later with more severe strokes. So the proportion of patients with low aspects increased, basically doubled, and basically because of the COVID patient, but also in non-COVID patient, it is, it is uh, higher. And here you can see, basically, the, the pre-hospital workflow time that was affected was mainly the the last time she went to activation because now many people are alone at home they are confined they cannot go out they cannot get visits so it is much more frequent that there, there, nobody notices the stroke so the last time to see well to to activation is uh, longer during the period and also especially after the lockdown everything went worse after the the, the highest uh, point the second week and uh, the in-hospital workflows were also affected so because in the hospital everybody was scared the the, the protection measures the all all the saturation the collapse that we had in the um, in the er we had longer door-to-needle times, longer door-to-groin times, <coughs> again, this, this year. Uh, for endovascular patients, longer door, uh, uh, symptoms on to groin, for both, not only for COVID, but 
the collateral damage was also uh, into uh, non-COVID patients, of course, because the system was very dysfunctional during uh, two, three weeks. Basically, finally, finally, to finish, the outcomes we are seeing are worse for all stroke patients. NIH at 24 hours are higher now uh, in this year, and especially because, because uh, COVID-positive patients. So the combination of COVID and stroke is very, very bad. So when a COVID patient has a stroke, it, it is uh, such a bad uh, uh, advanced, advanced systemic infection with uh, uh, systemic damage that most of the times we're seeing very high mortalities as you're gonna see. The mortality is higher this year, but especially very high among uh, the, combi the combination COVID plus, plus stroke. So we are seeing cases that are very, uh, with very, very severe pneumonias or severe uh, coagulation problems uh, with uh, thrombi in multiple parts of their body. And uh, we're reconsidering at this moment if these patients should, should get an endovascular treatment because they, the outcome is so bad anyway, not because of neurological outcome, but overall outcome is so bad that uh, uh, they probably should not, we should reconsider or uh, very much uh, endovascular treatment when a, in, such, in such patients. So we did some, some uh, uh, statistics here and we observed that of course, having a COVID was an independent predictor of mortality, but also having a stroke during the pandemic, even if you are not COVID, it influences negatively your outcome and you have a higher, higher mortality. Uh, thrombectomies with COVID patients are very painful. We need to wear all these this, this, this protection, uh, um, these protections suites. Uh, we need to cover ourselves with Googles and with more masks and, and, and it's, it's, it's uh, not, not easy. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't, so in terms of neurological outcomes, we didn't see in these patients higher rate of hemorrhagics, neither for IVTPA or for thrombectomies. So we did uh, at that moment, during the two weeks, we did 16 thrombectomies, of which uh, eight were COVID positive. Uh, half of them died during the first week, but, but not, not for neurological uh, problems or uh, hemorrhages, but because of, of uh, systemic, systemic uh, problems. So, so this pandemic meant really uh, a disaster for healthcare system. Uh, there was a collateral damage to stroke management because uh, everything was very dysfunctional. The confinement, the confinement at home had a negative impact. The pre-hospital workflow times were also affected. Uh, other cardiovascular emergencies were also uh, affected. And uh, yeah, we could, uh, we took some, some, some initiatives to, to organize ourselves in the hospital with EMS at the population level. And fortunately, fortunately, we're coming back to normal, but, uh, but uh, we went through a hard time. So, so this is what I wanted to share with you guys. Happy to get uh, questions. That's fantastic. Thank you, Mark, for your uh, nice presentation. Uh, great work, and uh, we know that uh, you are in a difficult situation in Spain, especially. Uh, but you kept your uh, your your courage to treat such patients. It was it was not uh, as easy as before, but uh, nice work and nice presentation. Thank you. 
So we are ready to uh, receive questions from uh, the audience if you want. So I'd like to ask you, uh, waiting for 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 uh, that indeed question. Uh, do, do you consider all patients, uh, even if you don't know if he's a COVID positive or not, do you consider them as a COVID positive in the use of uh, the PPE or uh, or uh, just for patients uh, that are confirmed to, to be positive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so if we have a stroke code uh, uh, coming from his house, we consider him as positive because uh, the PCR takes uh, now it took longer now it takes around six hours to have the results uh, so so we need to to take to consider him as positive uh, yeah we, we we are we are checking uh, the chastity we also um, had some discussion about the, the the advantages of since the patient is already in the CT scan and we're performing a, a CT from the aortic arch a CTA yeah, but yeah, so we find findings sometimes, but if we don't find findings, it doesn't mean that the patient doesn't have COVID. So the usefulness of, of this CT scan is, I don't know, it's not, uh, it's, I'm, I'm not sure it's very useful because yeah, if you see it, you, 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 you can be pretty sure that the patient has, has the infection, but if you don't, you still need to do the same thing. So the patients before they are admitted in the regular stroke unit, now we wait until we have the PCR confirmation uh, uh, that it's negative, and uh, only once it's negative, it goes to the to the stroke unit. Also, another warning: we have seen we have seen patients with uh, suggesting symptoms with a PCR that was negative, and uh, we thought, "What? Well, that's strange. You might have another another infection." And a second PCR that we did turned and, and one time a third PCR turned out to be positive. So so don't take the PCR as 100% sure when it's negative. Maybe the 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 quality of was not uh, of the of the sample was not good enough at first. So if the if the if there are symptoms you can still you should still be cautious and uh, repeat uh, PCR after one or two days because it's not uh, definitely, uh, uh, it doesn't definitely mean that the patient is negative. Yeah. Okay. I have, so we I have a comment. Yes, go on, go on. I have a comment. Um, um, in the last week, we did uh, uh, some uh, interview with uh, Dr. Mark Fisher. Uh, from Boston and Dr. Adam Arthur from Memphis. And it was a, something like a, um, a universal concept that uh, the number of reperfusion therapy uh, is uh, um, dramatically decreased uh, uh, as compared to the similar period uh, in the previous, uh, compared to the previous years. Uh, uh, do you think we are also touched something like that in uh, in our practice here? The number of thrombolysis and number of thrombectomy is decreased compared to the other to the similar period of the previous year. Do you think that uh, uh, we should have some effort to to do or some awareness to release in the media about the importance of the of catching this, those patients uh, to be presented as early as possible for the stroke surface to receive the best treatment for those uh, patients? 
And what do you recommend regarding uh, the, um, the awareness that public um, media should consider uh, as a propaganda or promotion for uh, such, uh, such uh, issue? Okay, so, so definitely the number of strokes that are, the number of strokes are probably the same. No, no, uh, they are not changing, but I, I don't think they are changing. What, what happens is that they are not coming to the hospital. Uh, and it depends on the, on the measures in its country. In our country, uh, what we've seen is that the minor strokes didn't come. The severe strokes, they were coming anyway, but later. So, so we didn't see a, a, a reduction in thrombectomy number, but thrombectomies were doing at a later point from time from symptoms onset with lower aspects and with worse outcomes, definitely. So it did not affect the number, but it affected the quality in our setting. And probably maybe in, all, in other settings, uh, uh, the, it is, uh, the, the degree of affection is different and, and it, it, it can affect the number of thrombectomies. But I, I do think that it's important to reach out to the population somehow and explain that uh, uh, despite COVID, strokes are still occurring. It is still important to consult, either if it's a severe stroke or a mild stroke. You have to ensure if it depends also on the on the on the incidence. But but you have to ensure that patients that are coming to the hospital for reasons different than COVID, they can access or have a safe safe pathway in the hospital separated from from uh, COVID patients. And this was not the case for us because uh, there was such a collapse that in the emergency room at some point everybody uh, were mixed. And uh, so so you have to, to, to find out a solution for, for every country, it would be different, so for every hospital, but, uh, for patients coming with nothing related to fever, cough, uh, 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 respiratory symptoms, uh, so like TIAs, uh, they should go through a, probably a different door, a different circuit, not mix them uh, initially. And, uh, and uh, so, so, so it's, not, it's not evident, it's not easy in the context, in the middle of all this, this uh, paranoia. Everybody is scared, and uh, so so it's it's it, it's difficult, but certainly certainly measures to to convince the the population that they need to come, they need to consult, they need to call EMS nine one one, whatever it is the number in your in your region. Uh, uh, it is definitely worth to do it. For example, my my wife is a stroke neurologist. She, she's just uh, 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 today she was doing a video, a campaign for Angels Initiative. Angels is doing uh, uh, an initiative here uh, for the population, saying uh, stroke doesn't stay at home. Uh, you need to go to the hospital anyway. The, uh, so there are initiatives, and I encourage you to to, to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we have okay. some other questions. Uh, we have a question from uh, Suhail Akhtar uh, uh, regarding the, your, your regimen of antiplatelet and uh, anticoagulation. Did you change anything regarding uh, the COVID positive patients? As we know that probably they may have more instance of having uh, some coagulation profile problems. 
Yeah, well, this this applies. Yeah, there is a controversy about uh, when do you or when should you anticoagulate patients with COVID. Uh, if you should anticoagulate everybody or not, uh, the protocols in our institution uh, right now, uh, I think we only give anticoagulate COVID patients when it's a severe, severe, severe COVID with severe systemic systemic uh, affection. So so mild COVID, mild symptoms, uh, moderate symptoms are not anticoagulated. Uh, we certainly saw patients uh, with severe COVID with uh, dramatic uh, throm thrombotic events, stroke, but also uh, uh, clots in uh, uh, hands and limbs, so dramatic uh, uh, shower of, of, of thrombi, of thrombi due to uh, massive uh, coagulopathy. So uh, there is, I think I'm not an expert, but there is an indication for anticoagulation in, in, in severe, in severe uh, COVID uh, infection, not in moderate or mild. And did, did you uh, notice any difference in, in uh, the type of uh, occlusions that uh, in, in COVID patients, I mean, uh, it's large vessel occlusion or distal vessel occlusion, or it's not, uh, it's, it's, there is no difference between COVID positive patients and other type of patients regarding uh, their presentation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So, for example, I did a thrombectomy in a patient that had a uh, respiratory uh, hypoxemia due to, to pneumonia. Uh, the, the, the cause of, he had a chronic carotid oxygen but only developed symptoms because of the hypoxemia. This is, uh, uh, this was clearly related to the hypoxemia, not specific to COVID, but to the pneumonia. Uh, we did, I, I do think among the thrombectomies that, that I did in COVID patients, that the, the, the load, the load of, of clot in some cases was a very big, very huge, huge clots in the carotids, so probably in the cases like I just told you with, with massive uh, shower of clots. So, so in this, but this applies only to severe COVID. Uh, on the other hand, you can have a, a mild COVID that has a stroke totally unrelated to COVID because he's, he had to have a stroke. So I, I, I've also seen these cases, not because he's COVID positive, you should think this is gonna be a disaster because you have a lot of mild cases of patients that coincidentally they also have a, a little uh, uh, cardiomolic stroke or or, or, or or any kind of stroke, but not related to COVID. So you have all the all the cases. So my advice is also not because you have uh, COVID and a stroke; it means that it's going to be a bad outcome. Uh, let me first introduce uh, Dr. Amal El Hashemi. She joined us. Uh, she is also a panelist. Uh, she is a president of the Stroke, Omani Stroke uh, Society, and she is one of uh, our active uh, board in Mina Sino. Hello, Dr. Amal. Uh, hello, everybody. Hello. hello. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Mark, for your very informative presentation. Um, I think we, we have learned from uh, from your experience today. And uh, if you don't mind, I just want to ask you a question. Um, have you noticed any, if you, I'm, I'm not sure if you would be able to answer me uh, because you are mainly dealing with intervention, but have you seen any trend in the subtype of stroke, uh, meaning patients who comes with COVID and stroke, are they are 
more prone to develop still ischemic stroke or hemorrhagic stroke are also on rise? Uh, yeah, well, we have seen also hemorrhagic strokes, but uh, we, we, we did an analysis and uh, the, the, the rate of hemorrhages doesn't seem to be higher. So, so we had hemorrhagic, uh, intragranular hemorrhages with, with COVID, uh, mm -hmm. but it doesn't look to increase the number. Uh, or maybe also because here we are not uh, massively anticoagulating these patients. And uh, also, so in, I know, I know, or I think in some places, it is more, uh, protocols are more generous, let's say, in uh, anticoagulating COVID patients to uh, pr prevent from uh, thrombosis, uh, and that can lead to higher rate of hemorrhage also. But uh, this is my experience. Okay, and have you noticed that also the, the, the hemorrhagic stroke was more severe in, in the context of COVID as well compared to um, um, cases who come with a stroke and COVID negative? Or have you seen a trend uh, also of severity of hemorrhagic stroke as much as in ischemic stroke too? No, to be, to be honest, so I would, I would, I would have two groups of, of, of among the stroke COVID patients, I think there are two strokes. One would be those regular stroke patients that would have the stroke anyway, and mm -hmm. coincidentally, coincidentally, they have a COVID positive, they are COVID positive. And those, they behave as we are used to. And on top of that, we are seeing those patients with severe COVID uh, that due to their severe condition, and they have this hypercoagulable state, basically, right. and they develop these uh, large, uh, nasty strokes. And those, they have very, very bad outcomes. I would say, I, I think they, they, all, they all die. So, so I would differentiate these two types, regular strokes with coincidental co mild COVID and severe COVID, which causes will cause a stroke, but then the stroke is not the worst of their their problems. They have so many problems that they they, they will probably die because of because of one of them. Okay, thank you very much. I, I would um, like to ask you. Yes, go, go on, uh, Dr. Amel. Yeah, yeah, go. I I can answer the next. I can ask the next question after you. Yes, you can go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, we know that probably uh, the period where you intubate the patient and when you extubate the patient is probably the most risky period uh, for uh, the transmission of the infection. So did you change anything regarding uh, uh, doing patients under GA? Uh, you put them under GA in the angio suite or you, you put them under GA outside the angio suite and then you go in uh, the, into the angio suite and for the extubation what to do after that? Yeah, this is a hot topic also. Uh, so we had this, this discussion. Uh, uh, when the patient is intubated, it's the safest moment, right? Uh, it's not, uh, it's not so contagious. Um, however, as you said, the processes of intubating and extubating uh, increase the risk. In our institution, we don't have a negative pressure room that minimizes the risks. We discussed with anesthesiologist and we decided to keep with our regular protocols, we do not intubate the patients electively, uh, not before and not now, only if the patient really needs it because of his neurological status during strokes. And uh, they all wear their masks 
uh, we put the shield uh, to 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 protect the rest of the team. The anesthesiologist is a little bit more more exposed. They need to wear uh, also their their mask and, and everything. But but uh, uh, it was also their decision. They took part of the decision. They thought. Anyway, they, they, if they had to intubate the patient, it will increase the, the risk anyway. So, so we didn't change the, the, this 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 part of the protocol. And then you don't intubate them in the engine suite. You intubate them outside the engine suite if you are in need. For so we don't intubate them. We don't intubate them unless they it's needed. If it's needed, uh, then uh, they cannot be uh, extubated ready after because they had. Uh, uh, a reason to be intubated that it was not corrected during the thrombotomy. It's not big, only because of the stock, so they are extubated in the ICU uh, later, okay. when possible. Yeah. Okay. Tramia, do you have the other question? Yeah, I was just wondering what, what happened in, at your institute and your hospital to the rehabilitation session. We know that there are different stages of treatment of stroke patients, and obviously, rehabilitation is extremely important stage in, in, in ultimately improving the uh, ultimate outcome of this patient, optimizing their functional status. So I'm just wondering, because I'm concerned, and at, at our institute, for instance, the, the, the rehabilitation session has been cut down significantly, the duration plus the sessions. They are not getting enough rehabilitation as they used to. So I just would like to hear from you if you have an, any experience in this regard as well. Yeah, that's a, an excellent point. And uh, we had the, exactly the same problem. Uh, so you can, you, we, I think in our case, we were hit, we didn't have time to prepare. Uh, from in a few days, the situation was uh, terrible. Uh, we could not. So, so one of the things that happened uh, related to rehab is that the, the rehab service decided we're not going to to do anything. And for a few weeks, or I would say two, three weeks, the stroke patients they didn't get any kind of rehab during in hospital, and uh, that was really bad. I think, as you said, it's very important to start early rehab as soon as possible, uh, and that's, this is what we do usually. So now, now that uh, the situation is better, uh, last week, last week they already they, the, the the physical therapist started to come again to the stroke unit daily and uh, take care of, of these patients. But but we did something that that we shouldn't have done because we were not prepared to, and because everybody was so scared, and there were not enough protection equipment, and uh, uh, we stopped. So the easiest thing to do. The easiest thing to do is to cancel everything and to stay at home. And, and all these measures that doesn't seem to be essential, they were canceled as a physical uh, therapy. Uh, I'm glad to hear that the rehabilitation sessions are, are back now in your institute because this is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think I think all the hospitals at the beginning faced this because there was a lot of hesitancy even from the therapists themselves to handle such cases. Despite even personal protective measures were taken, but they were very hesitant, and we have noticed that they have reduced the session significantly. Exactly, same same here. 
and also we had lack of, of we had not enough uh, protection uh, equipment so so uh, only very essential per staff uh, could use it this is this was at the beginning now now we, we don't have this problem anymore i think i think i should take this word hesitancy from dr amel and uh, um, take me to the next question. Did you see any delay in the workflow? Uh, um, and if yes, which part is affected more, the pre-hospital part or the intra-hospital part of the stock yes. workflow? Okay, so, so definitely at the pre-hospital level, there is a problem with uh, witnessing. Uh, since, since now a lot of people, they don't go out, they are alone at home, and there are more unwitnessed strokes that kind that come much longer. And we have many cases that were found uh, more than usually uh, after 24 hours uh, at home. Uh, this always happens, of course, but it happens more now. Uh, for first, uh, during the very peak, there was a collapse of EMS, and everybody was calling 911. Uh, and uh, there was a waiting release for 911. So, so the authorities was, were telling if you have mild symptoms uh, from respiratory symptoms, don't call 911 because there were not enough people to answer all the calls. So, so, but that, that, that was a very few days. But certainly it, it could affect also reaching EMS uh, at some point because the, uh, the, the, the call centers were, were saturated. Um, but uh, after a few days, the EMS process was back to normal. And inside, and then the second part inside the hospital also during the first days, because of collapse and and protective measures, we we, we observed a, a delay in, in in door to door to needle time, door to groin times, but uh, not anymore. Now now the the hospital is much much more calm now, even more. Everything is smoother than always because there's less people in the hospital. Uh, only a session people are there, and and you go to the hospital, it's like <laughs> very very unusually calm. You, there's 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 nobody in the corridors. All the all the patients are in their rooms, and uh, there's little staff because the, only the essential staff is there. So you go to the hospital is strange, very strange. And considering the, what we know regarding the bad outcome of patients with uh, COVID positive patients with uh, acute stroke, especially when they are uh, severely affected with uh, the COVID. Uh, so did, did you change anything regarding you, the patients that you are accepting for thrombectomy? I mean, we know that there are clear indications for thrombectomy and there are patients that are clearly not good candidates for thrombectomy. And we have a gray zone in between the gray zone of the ASPI score of uh, the time window of uh, the NIH stroke scale. So uh, do you feel that you are more conservative with uh, positive COVID patients uh, in the gray zone? Okay, so so um, usually I consider myself like very prone to treat and very active to treat and like kind of over treat or or some sometimes too too much during this crisis i continue to do the same but i'm realizing now that uh, many of the patients that i treated i probably shouldn't have to the outcome is was clearly very bad because of their condition so i think uh, 
severe COVID patients with these ugly pneumonias and uh, uh, respiratory failure or, or coagulation uh, problem and, and, and large stroke, it doesn't make sense to, to, to treat them, to treat them, especially if they have a low aspects also. So uh, I usually treat patients with aspects of six, sometimes five if they are young, uh, but, but on top, if you on top of that, they have a severe COVID, I, I, now I, I think I'm, I'm withholding treatment uh, from, from these patients because it's just a weight of resources, time and, and hopeless case. Uh, I want to add uh, to that uh, point. I wonder if you changed other things in the angiography suite uh, handling uh, in terms of patients or even the um, staff uh, scheduling. What changes did you implement during that time to kind of protect the staff a little bit uh, to avoid cross uh, contamination? So essentially to preserve a working power always available there. Yeah, yeah. So one thing we did is we avoid contact between the members. So only I, I, I didn't see my, we are four interventionalists in my institution and didn't see them personally for uh, four or five weeks now. We, we, don't, we are not in the same place at the same time to, to avoid the contacts. Yeah, we took this decision uh, the first days because we were really scared. But, but still, we, we, we stay at home most of the time uh, and only go if there are emergencies. Uh, and the same for uh, Angie Suite uh, nurses or other staff. Uh, we, the, we try not to, that they don't see each other. So if one, if one, one is infected, contaminated, the other one can keep uh, coming. So to avoid, the, so this was one of the initial measures. Then during the cases, yes, everything in the industry is, is uh, or many places are, 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 are covered with, with drapes, uh, disposable drapes. And when we finish a case, a case there's a, a special disinfection protocol, there's a cleaning uh, uh, squad that comes and we cannot use the, the angel suite for two hours after that and be, until it's, it's uh, clean again. So uh, there is uh, some changes in the cleaning protocols. I'm not an expert on this, but I know that we have to call them. We tell them there was a, pro a positive case or a possibly positive case, and they apply this special cleaning protocol, and we cannot use the Angel Suite for the next two hours. Um, I just have a comment, and please do correct me if I, uh, if I get you, got you wrong from the... Um, the last question, you, you mentioned that in case of a very severe like COVID cases, you would probably, you are not very keen to perform thrombotomy in these cases. Uh, did I hear that right? I think so, because, uh, yeah. because in our experience, uh, all these patients, they, they had a fatal outcome, not neurological, not neurological, despite having good recanalization and, and uh, fast recanalization, they ended up dying yeah. because... Yeah, I, I, I do hear you, but it's just that sometimes these patients come very quickly. We might be suspicious of having the case of COVID, um, but they might also have other severe respiratory symptoms and maybe COVID test hasn't come back yet because we have experienced the same thing in our in our hospital where a patient presented within window period for treatment 
and we did everything for him. And then uh, at the same, simultaneously had some uh, respiratory symptoms, but then following twice testing of his COVID, he turned to be negative eventually, and he subsequently actually improved. So sometimes I think it, it might be a little bit hard to decide if it's COVID versus non-COVID, especially if it still the test hasn't come uh, positive or negative yet. Amal, I, I, I agree with you. I hate to deny treatment to a patient. And, and believe me, I, I, I'm a, a big treater. I, I, I tend to treat always. I'm just saying that uh, that uh, that uh, sometimes the boundary of treating, not treating is, is as you said, you, you, uh, it's gray. And uh, yeah. I tend to, to, to score more black, uh, some mm -hmm. cases in which uh, otherwise would be gray. This is what I'm trying to tell. I, I'm not saying uh, definitive conclusions. Every, you take to take conclusions on an individual basis. Just my experience with, with severe COVID patients was really bad. This is what I, I'm telling, and I understand. I completely understand. Uh, some patients would still go. You, you not just because they are COVID, you you should deny treatment. No, no, that that's not the message. So, in, in right. relation, thanks to for the that, explanation. Uh, to that point, I think it's it's uh, after going through this difficult time, you guys uh, in Spain, and and I'm sure there is a lot of points that in your mind say, I wish I did this differently, or if I went through this, I would do it in a different way. So I wonder what are the things that you would say, these are things I would have done differently in dealing with stroke patients, the unit, uh, um, based on your experience. So one thing, I, I, I just thinking uh, one thing, we had a problem in the stroke unit, with the uh, infection of, of nurses and stroke uh, uh, nurse uh, aides. Uh, patients that, because we, we, we were uh, following the, the results of PCR blindly. And uh, despite we had a couple of patients that we suspected COVID and they were isolated. And then the result, the PCR came negative we, th we told everybody, no, that's probably another infection, uh, a flu. He doesn't have a COVID. And uh, we, we withdraw the, the additional protection measures. And uh, a few of our, of our nurses got infected because uh, a couple of these patients turned to be uh, positive uh, on a second or even on a third PCR, as I told you earlier. So, so uh, and, and of course, they were very upset. It's, I don't think it's somebody's fault, but, but, but just need to, to remember that a negative PCR doesn't mean that the patient doesn't have uh, the infection and it still, it can still be infection. So, so then in this case, do you advise us to do this more than twice? Because for most of our ca cases, we did it like twice. When it turns to be negative after the second time, we actually haven't gone to do the third one. So. Uh, do you advise us really to continue doing this test in stroke patient despite like two uh, so, tests? Yeah, well, if the suspicion is, is high, uh, 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 certainly, yes, yes. Because, and, and you can suspect by clinical uh, symptoms, also by high ferritin or D-dimer or, or like uh, uh, from, uh, so, so if the degree of suspicion is high, 
uh, uh, I would, uh, so we had one case, one single case in which uh, we had, uh, it was positive only at the third, at the third test. Okay, uh, well, interesting to know that because most of the time those patients who come to us with stroke and suspicion of COVID, we like do it twice and then if it turned to be like negative in the second time, we probably mm -hmm. stop testing. So this is a learning point for me. Maybe we should not give up and maybe we should continue testing these patients if, if we are suspicious, highly suspicious. Or at least keep, keep the measures, keep, the, keep, uh, keep uh, higher protective measures for the staff at least okay. because uh, because uh, you don't want them to be of course uh, infected and this is we, it happened to ha to us yeah sure i have some, uh, some questions from the participants from the uh, attendees uh, one of them is about uh, uh, if there is any change in the ct angio protocol uh, as regard you know there is some data regarding the effect harmful effect of the contrast uh, especially in covid positive patient did you uh, see that uh, CT angio should be restricted in those patients or? No, no, yeah, we, 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 we decided to, to not to change our, our uh, angio protocol uh, if uh, in these patients. Also, yeah, I understand uh, you, there, you, there can be a higher risk of renal failure, but, uh, but uh, we, I, I think, I think the, the answer is to be reasonable and not to perform additional, additional contrast uh, or two, if not necessary. But I believe if, if you have a patient with a, with a, a severe stroke, uh, listen, I don't think uh, you can skip doing a, a CTA. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, there's, there's no way, there's no way you can, you can uh, spare him uh, uh, the use of contrast and you have mm -hmm. to take the risk and, and do it. Uh, another thing what we did is that uh, in our institution for mild strokes, uh, we rely on, for TIA evaluation, we rely a lot of, on ultrasound, uh, carotid ultrasound. We stopped doing carotid ultrasound because of the risk of of uh, infection of the of the sonographer, and uh, on the other hand, we did uh, more uh, CTAs, CTAs uh, in these mild mild stroke patients, in which uh, sometimes uh, other ways they don't get a CTA and they get a carotid ultrasound. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, we have another question regarding: uh, uh, Have you any experience of? Um, COVID positive uh, presented uh, primarily by neurological sign uh, manifestation. Sorry, there was a there, COVID. Uh, can you repeat the last part? Yes. Uh, any experience about uh, COVID positive uh, presented primarily by neurological manifestation, not uh, chest uh, manifestation? No, like we, we, we are uh, registering all neurological manifestations of these patients, of course, many have, but, but so, so we did have cases that came as a stroke and that was the, 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 the cause for coming to the hospital, but we, we saw we already in the, in the city in the, uh, on admission that they had a severe pneumonia. So, so we have seen these patients. All the neurological manifestations that are usual, of course, they are, but they're very non-specific, like headache, 
but you can uh, they come with fever and and and, and inf any infection. So 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 we have a, a registry of neurological manifestations of of the COVID uh, positive patients. The, the most common is headache, of course, and uh, and dizziness, but. This is very non non specific. Ah, so also the, the, it's very you know it's very frequent. The anosmia is very frequent. Uh, two actually two of our uh, staff members, neuro one resident, one one uh, neurologist. Uh, their their symptoms were were anosmia. Uh, she's a young mother. She uh, she realized that uh, she doesn't smell the diapers of her of her babies, and. Uh, and uh, this is how she find out she was uh, positive. She wanted to take the test, and she turned out to be positive. So, so the anosmia is is uh, really, really, really frequent, mm -hmm. and uh, and sometimes the only symptom. Uh, Doctor Mark, now hopefully you're uh, in the hospital almost uh, beyond the the peak, as you mentioned, and almost in the recovery phase. How do you see the changes uh, happening in the unit, uh, stroke unit or the hospital in the coming weeks or months uh, during that recovery? Yeah, so, so we're coming back to normal, uh, uh, but what we have to ensure now, the challenge uh, for, the, for us is uh, for uh, milder strokes and we are building a, a, a circuit in which uh, TIAs and mild strokes are completely separated and uh, we can take uh, care of them completely as outpatients more than ever. We always try to uh, manage them as outpatients, but sometimes we still admit them for uh, for uh, quick, quick study. Uh, uh, but now we want to avoid this as much as possible. So patient, we are building uh, a circuit by which with, with a mobile application, we are uh, going to follow them up. We're going to tell them where they have to come for additional t tests, or like the echo echocardiography. Uh, we, we want them to take uh, their halter at home. Uh, we're building all this. This is a, a challenge in terms of, of, of of uh, logistics of the logistics of, of taking care of the mild milestones that do not really need an uh, admission to the hospital it sounds like um, a lot of changes will go on in a way that will change the way we manage these patients on the long term for the months or maybe years to come Exactly, and also for outpatient clinic, we don't have outpatient clinic. imagine all the patients not only stroke but all 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 patients, they don't, they don't. Uh, uh, so we do uh, outpatient clinic by 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 video conferencing. We 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 have a, an application for this for these patients, and we we can uh, share with them information through the application. We send them messages and and video files, but also we are able to do a video video conference video 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 conference uh, the day that they have the outpatient visit. And, and, and this is going to remain like this. I think this is going to remain for the future. Less, less outpa presential outpatient clinic and more uh, te telematic. You, you still postpone your, your elective cases, yeah? We are still postponed. Uh, we are talking about uh, starting soon, but uh, uh, to do in order to do this, we we need to to test the patients ICU before. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see. Well, first ICU beds. And then to have, uh, of course, ICU beds, uh, we, we still don't, uh, we have 
uh, right now I think uh, 120 ICU beds. Usually our hospitals has 80, 80 ICU beds. So it's still uh, are, uh, over the, the usual number. And fast testing, fast testing for, for, for elective procedures. But you, did, you didn't face any problem with the administration to keep uh, ICU beds for your, your stroke patients. I mean, in, in, in some hospitals, there's a problem that they want to keep the whole ICU beds ready for COVID patients and uh, no, no, they were offering. I think, no, the, the nine, 19, there were very few beds for non, ICU beds for non-COVID. No, very, very few. Uh, usually, the stroke patients, they don't go to the ICU, they go to the stroke unit, and this we manage to, to, to keep uh, COVID-free. Let me uh, to sum up about 15 questions from the attendees into uh, four questions. Uh, did you see any difference between uh, the, um, the etiology of the stroke whether it is a large vessel occlusion or distal vessel occlusion between COVID positive and the non-COVID positive patient. This is the first uh, most commonly asked question between attendees. And the other question is the difference between the pathophysiology of a stroke patient between uh, the COVID positive and the COVID negative patient. And also a difference between the anticoagulation and the antiplatelets uh, protocol post-thrombectomy between uh, the COVID-positive uh, patient uh, versus uh, COVID-negative patient. So again, the idea is that most of the patients behave the same, except for those with severe COVID, in which there is there is this dysfunction, multiple multifunctional dysfunction, and uh, hypercoagulable state, and, and high load of thrombus. These are part of the COVID positive patients. Otherwise, otherwise, it's they, they, they behave same as uh, as always. But this this subgroup of, of severe COVID, they they are completely different. And uh, and uh, and uh, and as I told you, they have large large clots and uh, and very severe strokes. And on top of that, they have a hypoxemia and the, everything is is uh, really messed up. Did you have any uh, histological examination for extracted clot from COVID positive patient? No, we avoided that. We 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 usually collect clots for research. Uh, we decided that not to collect them in COVID patients because uh, to avoid <laughs> to avoid the problems with uh, infectious samples. Okay. <laughs> Right, I, 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 it was, I, I have to go to the hospital, I have to do a, a vasospasm, to treat a vasospasm. Uh, 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 so, so it's not an emergency, but I told the team to be there at 9.30 and uh, I need to, to go. So, um, Thank you sorry so about much, that. Sir. Yes. Thank you, Thank you very so much. much for your yeah. time. Yes, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank I you. hope I hope I, I, I could help you with my experience. I really hope you don't need it, but uh, for sure you have cases and and you can apply some of the things we we have discussed here. And uh, I hope I can see you someday, <laughs> Osama. <laughs> Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank it's you very, very much. Very very appreciated to, to get you today with us.
and thank you for your kind uh, time and uh, and the effort to give some recommendation. Thank you so much, Mark. And be safe, please. Uh, you too. You too. My my, my pleasure. Thank you, thank Mark. You. And thank bye, you. guys. Bye, bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Farid. Thank you, Dr. Amal, for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Farouk. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Osama. It's our for, uh, pleasure, Dr. Osama. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. You. you too. Stay safe. Bye.